My name is uh, John. If you don't know who I am, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Excited to be with you guys um, today here. Football Sunday, uh, first uh, weekend of the NFL and college football is underway. There was a little bit of a game last night here locally that people were interested in. Um, I don't know. I had to sleep in. Did anybody get the score? I had to go to sleep early. Did anybody get the score? Anybody know what happened? Any, any Michigan fans? On, no. What was the score? I can't remember. If I, if I heard, I'm kidding. I, of course I know what happened last night. Stay up and watch the game. Yeah, a lot of Michigan fans here at Grace, a lot of Notre Dame fans here at Grace. You sort of have to decide, you know, when you live here, who you're going to cheer for. You know, you sort of can't be casual about this. I learned that when I first moved here, you know, about 10 years ago. Um, you know, I decided I was going to start rooting for Notre Dame. I didn't really have a college team that I really identified with. In, in Philadelphia, we don't really have college um, um, football, uh, big school there. We have basketball and that kind of thing but not a lot of college football. So I kind of started rooting for Notre Dame, and I got asked to go to the Notre Dame-Michigan game. And, uh, but, but, but they said, listen, like, you can't be like halfway in. Like, I'm not going to give you this ticket if you're not going to cheer for Notre Dame, you know, in, in a passionate way. And so I sort of had to decide at that moment, you know, where I was going to stand on this issue. And, and, and so, and so uh, I decided to, to cheer for uh, Notre Dame. I also, but, but I also am very passionate. I got my Eagles jersey on today, but my team, the Philadelphia Eagles, that's where I was born, grew up. You guys know that, that know me. And, uh, and I love the Eagles. And we're passionate about who we cheer for, whether it's our college team or our high school team or our pro team, whatever it is. When the Eagles were in the Super Bowl, it was 10 years ago now, 2004, when they were in the Super Bowl, we had friends over to our house to watch the game, which, you know, we do almost every year. We get together with friends, watch the Super Bowl. You've probably heard of that. It's like the most watched, you know, television show every year. And, and um, anyway, so we were getting together, but I, I stopped the game. I stopped the TV. I turned it off right before the game started. And uh, I said, listen, I said, uh, I said, a lot of you guys, we're glad you're here. Tanner and I love you. We're, we might be over. We're glad you're here. But, uh, you know, a lot of people watch the Super Bowl because they want to see the commercials. They want to hang out with friends. I said, that's great. But, but if that's you, I, we set up a second TV in our kitchen for you. <laughs> I said, because this game tonight means something to me. If, if, you, if you are going to watch this Super Bowl where the Eagles are playing, okay, this hasn't happened since I was two. All right. Um, you, you, you need to understand that you must, one, cheer for the Eagles. Okay? Or, or if you're, you're going to talk about something else that's unrelated to the game, that's great. Just go do it in the kitchen. That's why we have the second TV for you. And that was a speech that I made. And they were like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I'm serious. Like, <laughs> go over there. Because, that's, because that's, that's the kind of passion that we have for our teams. We want to see our teams win, and we care about our teams. And some of you guys are Notre Dame fans, Michigan fans. You know, you guys are cheering for your team. I love the college scene because the bands are playing, and, and there's just this, the, the student section is just, you know, powerful, and you're seeing this whole big sea of one color. And in unity, they're kind of cheering and rooting for their team. And there's something that's powerful about that. I looked up the Michigan and the Notre Dame um, fight songs. The Michigan fight song says, Hail to the victors, valiant. Hail to the conquering heroes, Hail, hail to Michigan, the leaders and best. Hail to the victors, they repeat themselves. Hail to the conquering heroes. Hail, hail to Michigan, the champions of the West. They want to cheer their team on to victory. And so they sing this song as loud as they can. They have to repeat three lines. See, when you graduate Michigan, you only know so many words. And so they had to repeat themselves there. That's what they do. It's just to keep it simple like that. 
And then you got the Notre Dame, get the Notre Dame uh, victory march. Says, cheer, cheer for old Notre Dame. Wake up the echoes cheering your name. Send a volley, cheer on high. Shake down the thunder from the sky. What though the odds be great or small, old Notre Dame will win over all while her loyal sons are marching onward to victory. That's good stuff. And no matter who you're cheering for, you're cheering because you want to help your team win. You want them to be the victors that day. That's what those songs said over and over. Victory and conquering and being the best and being the champion. That's what we're doing. We're cheering for our team. And and there's something that's really cool when we're all together and we're in one voice kind of cheering on this team. And that's why we take our sports kind of passionately, those of us that uh, cheer and root for our team, we, we think that we out, have an outcome on the game, that we have some kind of effect. You know, if I cheer better, my team's going to win. If I sit in this seat, if I wear this same shirt, you know, if I sit my leg crossed this certain way, that's what happened last time and they won. We think we're going to affect the game. That's how we are as fans. We want to help our team win. See, because everybody wants to be a part of a winning team. Everybody wants to be a part of something that's, that's going forward. It, it's amazing what happens um, in, in, in how sports can affect the rest of life. Even when a community is sort of going through a difficult time, if all of a sudden one of their local teams, maybe it's their high school team, maybe it's their little league team going to the World Series, or, or, or maybe it's their college team, their pro team, all of a sudden it has a good run, you see a team begin, you see a community begin to kind of gather around and rally around that, that team, and people who aren't even fans begin to, you know, kind of wear some of the shirts, and they're kind of slapping high fives, you know, when you're going through town, and it's like you're all on one team. There's something powerful about being part of a winning team. Jesus talks about winning as well in the Bible. We're going to take a look today at a passage of Scripture where, that tells us that we can be part of a winning team. We can be overcomers in this life. So let's take a look at 1 John chapter 5. We're going to keep going with our Light It Up series. If you don't have a Bible today, we have ushers in the link and here in the main that want to put one in your hand. We want you to follow along. These words are truth. They're life. And so take that Bible, take it home with you, make it yours, bring it back with you next Sunday so that you have your own Bible so you can follow along at home and here. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to pick it up. Mike and Jim have done a fantastic job of leading us through this uh, book here as we've gone through the 1 John. And I've kind of noticed something as they've been sharing. They kind of keep saying over and over, John said this, or, or John meant this when he wrote this, or, or John meant this word to say this. I kind of kept hearing them say that. And I thought, you know, it'd just be easier if I just got up here and spoke for myself today. And so... <laughs> And so, and so here I am, 1 John 5, we're going to look, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I didn't write this book, okay? For those of you, again, that are, that's, for Michigan fans, that's sarcasm. That's, that's sarcasm, that's what that is. I'm just, I'm just joking, okay? All right, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to tell you more jokes about Michigan fans. Hey, stand up and let's read, let's read today 1 John chapter 5. We're going to read the first five verses, verses 1 through 5 together as we keep going in this lighted up series. 1 John 5, 1 to 5, here we go. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Thank you. Have a seat. Thanks for reading along. That's going to be our text for today. 
As you read the first couple of verses here in this text, it sounds a lot like what we've already studied here through 1 John. Talking about loving God, and if we love God, we're going to love his children as well. We've kind of gone through that. We've seen that here in this text over and over again. It's been one of the themes that Mike and uh, Jim have been preaching about. But then when we go to verses 4 and 5, John begins to talk about overcoming. He says, everyone who is born of God, in verse 4, overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so in those two verses, four different times, Jesus talks about victory or overcoming. Four different times. In fact, the New Testament calls Christians and talks about Christians being victorious or, or overcomers 24 different times in the New Testament, 24 different times. John, who wrote this book, who also wrote the Gospel of John, who also wrote Revelation, uh, talks about us being uh, victorious or overcomers 21 out of those 24 times in the New Testament where those words are talked about. It's John that's writing about it, 21 out of 24. And so this is sort of a major theme for John. A major theme for John as an author is that Christians are overcomers and victorious. There's a lot of words that we use to describe followers of Jesus, right? Think of some of them, believers, Christians, um, um, God's family, saints, Jesus peeps. All those words, I made that last one up. All those words, you know, come from the New Testament to describe Jesus' followers Um, John wants to make sure you add one more to your list, and that is overcomers, champions, victors. That's what John wants you to remember. The the word that was written here, um, remember this New Testament was written mostly in Greek. That was the language of John's day. He didn't write in English. We've translated it into English. And the word that, uh, the Greek word that he used was the same word that the Greeks used for their God of victory. They called him Nike. N-I-K-E. We say it, Nike. That means victory in Greek. And so they, they, uh, uh, John chose that word. He used that word. He stole that word from their language to say, no, only Jesus is the one who really gives you victory. Jesus guarantees, in fact, victory. And that's what I want you to understand today. Take away from this message, nothing else. Take this away, that only Jesus guarantees victory. Okay? There are a lot of games yesterday. There's going to be a lot of games today. And listen, nobody can guarantee their team is going to win until the game is over. Nobody can offer that kind of victory. Only Jesus can. Jesus guarantees victory. Now, before we go any further, we we kind of need to define what does victory in life actually mean? Because lots of us are chasing after something that we think is a victory, that we think is an end goal. And John writes about overcoming the world. What does it mean to, to be victory or to have victory in life or to overcome the world? We, we need to sort of define that. When John was saying that, that we are going to overcome the world, was he saying that we are going to make everybody in our world believe like we do? Are we going to just kind of wipe people out? If they don't become Christians, then, then, they, they, then they're gone. Is that what he was talking about? Is that how we're going to overcome the world? No. No, we know that's not true. That's the kind of radical religion that's out there today that, that, we're, that we're facing. We're seeing it all over the world where if you don't believe like a person believes, you're gone. That's not how Jesus wanted us to reach our world. Now he gives us 
an even stronger uh, weapon, and that is love, compassion. And that's our weapon as we try to reach people. But we're not going to overcome the world by making everybody become like us. It doesn't work. When, when John says that you're going to be an overcomer, that you're going to overcome the world, um, does he mean then, if he doesn't mean that we're going to just make everybody like us, does he mean then that, that everything that I'm, I'm going to win at everything in life, that everything is going to go my way and it's going to be perfect? Um, because if you listen to, to, uh, to some churches, or even if you open up, uh, you turn on the TV and you'll see a guy who has a Bible in his hand, they'll make it sound like Christ is going to give you perfect health. And he's going to give you all the money in the world that you want. And, and he's going to make your life very, very successful and powerful in that way. Is that what he means when we're going to overcome the world? Well, as we look at the context of this verse here, and as we look at the context of other verses that describe us as overcomers, that's never, in, that's never what he's talking about. John's not talking about anything like material wealth or, or physical health. And so when he says that you're going to be a winner at life, or you're going to be an overcomer, he's not saying that you're going to have or get everything that you want, and that life's going to be easy for you. So what does he mean to overcome the world then? Well, Let's let the scripture interpret itself. And let's take a look at what it says. And so we want to understand what the word world means in this context. Sometimes when the authors of scripture would write about the world, for instance, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world. That's talking about the people of the world. God loved the people of the world so much that he sent his one and only son. But in this context, where Jesus or John is saying to overcome the world is similar to the context of Ephesians chapter 6. And so let's look there. Keep your finger in 1 John because we're going to come back. But go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse uh, 10. We're going to read. And, and you've seen this before. This is a passage we talk about quite a bit because it's so critical to understanding life today. Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 13 uh, is what I'm going to read for you. It says, Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. The context that we're going to use, or that the, the authors are using when they talk about overcoming the world or winning a victory over the world is the world being sort of this context here. Now, a couple of things that, uh, and let me, let me break that down and explain that for you. A couple of things that we sort of learn from this passage of scripture, which is talking about a, a spiritual fight that is going on every day in our world. That's not a fight that we can see, but it's a spiritual fight that is going on every day. Listen, the first thing that we learn from this passage is that there, there is a real enemy who wants to hurt us, okay? So don't be naive and sort of feel like there's not. Does life ever to you feel like it's a battle? Does it feel difficult to try to live life the way that you think God wants you to live? Isn't it hard? Don't you feel like life's a battle? The reason that it feels that way is because it is. It is a battle. You are involved in a war, in a battle every day, and there is a very real enemy who is trying to hurt you. Okay? So there's a, re there's a reason it feels like life is a battle. The second thing that I want you to get, while there is a real enemy that's out there, the second thing is that that enemy is not a person. 
The enemy is not a person. Verse 12 here, Ephesians chapter 6, says, Our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood. But it's against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil. So our battle is not with people. Even though that person that is across from you that you think would look much nicer if their nose was a different direction than it is right now, listen, they are not your enemy, okay? Even though you think that, even though you think your boss, even though you might think your spouse, even though you think your kids is the enemy, listen, they are not. There is a real enemy, but it is not a person, and so several of us are, are facing life defeated or we're going from battle to battle to battle all the time because we're fighting the wrong person. We're fighting the wrong enemy. Let's put the target where it's supposed to be. It's not a person. It's not your spouse. It's not your boss. It's not your coworkers. They're not the enemy. There is an enemy and put the target where it's supposed to be. The enemy, according to this text, are these authorities, these rulers, these spiritual powers in this dark world who work for, verse 11, the devil. The devil schemes. He is the one that's coming after you and is trying to um, fight with you. Now, here's the thing. We can stand up to this enemy. I mean, God wouldn't give us this armor if we couldn't use it. And so there is victory to be had, and that's what we're going to talk about later, but there is victory to be had. That comes through in this passage as well. So let me kind of define the world this way then. All right, when we're talking about the world, let's, let's define it this way. Satan's worldwide system of deception and wickedness in opposition to God, his word, and his people. That is what we're talking about. We're saying that we're to overcome the world, or we are in a battle with the world. Or the scripture says we are to be in the world, but not of the world. That's what, they're, that's what we're talking about, is this is this. this organization that Satan has kind of come together. It's not people, okay? It's a spiritual uh, organization. And he, just like in our companies or in our governments, we organize ourselves to be efficient and to be effective and to accomplish our task or our mission. Satan does the same thing. He has demons that are out there that are gathering intelligence on you and I, looking for our weaknesses, reporting it back, and then devising a plan to try to trip us up, stop us, defeat us, destroy us. Because they are in opposition to God, to his word, to truth, and to anything that God stands for and loves, including us. And so that is this battle that we are in. That is what we are overcoming when it comes to this war. We want victories in our lives. We want to be winners. We want to win this battle, listen, more than any other battle that's out there, more than any other game we're ever going to play, and it's not really a game. This is the game that you want to win. This is where you want to put your energy. It's to this battle, this game right here. More important than any accomplishment you'll ever get at work, more than any uh, victory you'll ever have uh, in a team sport, is this is where you want to put the majority of your energy is right here in winning this war, being an overcomer in the world. So here's how we're going to do that. Because we're not going to do it by unlocking power that's within us. We're not going to do it by just trying harder to change ourselves or change other people or change our world. 
We're not going to do it by just changing some behaviors that are inside of us, by believing more positively that we can change. Listen, those are the systems that the world offers us, the, the lies that Satan has kind of put out there to make to sound really good or really helpful. Only Jesus guarantees you victory. Only Jesus guarantees victory. Because here's the thing that you need to know. Jesus has already won this war, okay? It's already done. And the way that you become a champion in this war, the way that you become an overcomer is to join the winning team. He's already won. You and I are just a bunch of free agents and we need to get onto the winning team. And once I'm on that team, then I'm an overcomer. I'm a champion. I'm a winner because I'm on Jesus' team, the one who already won. So how do we become overcomers, or what are the marks, I should say, of an overcomer? If you're taking notes, uh, write uh, overcomers down. Make some kind of column there with a heading. And then I'm going to give you a couple of things to write underneath it. Turn back to 1 John 5. Let's look at verse 1 and get one mark of an overcomer. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Let's pause right there. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. It is critical. It is, it is the most important decision that you and I will ever make in our life is what we are going to do with Jesus. And listen, you can't go halfway. You cannot be neutral. There is no you know, kind of middle ground. You and I must decide once and for all in our lives, but then every day of our lives, what are we going to do with Jesus? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. When we are saying that he is the Christ, um, that's critical. See, because everybody believes in, or I shouldn't say everybody, but most people, billions of people in our world believe in God. But not everybody believes that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Christ. Um, that's what we have to decide. See, Christ was not Jesus' last name. Like, my name is John Rauch. His name was not Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah. It means Savior. It means anointed one, literally. He is the anointed one from God who is going to rescue, who has saved and rescued us. That is what Christ means. And so when I say that he is Christ, I'm saying that he is God, that he is the Savior, that he is the one who is going to save that's why it's so critical that we believe that Jesus Christ, there's lots of great Jesuses and Jesuses out there, but only one who claimed to be God, who is the Christ. That's what we're talking about. And so number one, overcomers believe that Jesus is Christ, okay? And, and I want to just drive this home. You have to decide what side of the line you're on. You have to decide what side of the line you're on. Because like I said, billions and billions of people in our world believe in God. Billions and billions of people are into spiritual things. Billions and billions of people are uh, believers, they say. But you have to decide, and every person has to decide, which side are they on when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is the key figure in, world, in the world, in humanity. He is the dividing line. Um, and, and the text says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is who's born of God. So it's not everybody who believes in a God or everyone who believes in God. 
is, is born of God. No, it's everyone who believes that what? Jesus is Christ. That is it. Jesus is Christ. And so there are two sides. There's not four sides. There's not some people think this and, and some people think this and some people think this and this. There are only two sides. Those who believe that Jesus is God and everybody else. Everybody else. They may think all kinds of different things. There may be the wickedest person and the best person. And they're both on this side. Do you understand that? It is Jesus that divides. Jesus is the Christ. There is no other way. He is the only option. And you're either on this side with him or you're not. And an overcomer, once we believe that Jesus is Christ, we join this team. We become overcomers. We become victorious in the major fight of our lives. We, we win. We become victorious. We're overcomers. Once we believe and have decided that Jesus is Christ. But it's not just a one-time decision, though. That's what gets us onto this team. But then once we're on here, we're tempted to try to go back over here and to try to work our way to believe that somehow I have to become an overcomer, that somehow I have to try harder, that I got to do certain things to become a person who overcomes. And what I'm telling you is that once you're on Jesus' team, you are an overcomer. And now you are battling from the side of victory. You're not battling for the victory. It's already done. And you're battling from the victory that God has given you. Jesus did the work. And once you have faith in him, you are an overcomer. See, being an overcomer isn't just about doing a bunch of stuff. Okay, you got to get that. It's not about you and I doing more stuff in our Christian lives. We are overcomers. And what our role is, is to surrender. The one thing we can do is surrender. Surrender more of our heart. Surrender more of our mind, of our actions, right? Romans says that by the renewing of our minds, that's what we're going to do. We're going to surrender ourselves daily to him so that every day we're saying, Jesus, you're in charge of my decisions. My heart, my will, my decisions, my actions, those are now Jesus's heart. Those are now Jesus's actions, Jesus's decisions, Jesus's will. That's how I'm going to live today. That's the crux of overcoming, is making that choice, which side are you on? And once you're on this side, not to go back over here, or in your mind go back over here, and believe that somehow you have to work your way to becoming an overcomer, but simply living like the overcomer that Jesus says you are. It's your faith, it's your belief that Jesus is the Christ that makes you an overcomer. But you gotta live that way. You gotta choose to believe that and renew your mind to live that way, that Jesus is the Christ for you. Which side of the line is your heart on today? Which side of the line are you living victorious as an overcomer? Or are you believing that somehow you have to work to become that person? That you have to do a bunch of stuff to please God, to become the person that God wants you to be? Take a look at the text and let's take a look at verse 2. Because overcomers believe that Jesus, Jesus is the Christ, and they also, well, let's just see. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And, and here's a point that John has made before, 
where those who love the father, he says at the end of verse 1, love the child as well. And that's, that's been his theme throughout the book. If we say we love God, then we have to love other people. We have to love our brothers and our sisters who are part of the family of God. And if we don't love them, then we have to ask ourselves, do I really even love God? Because they go together. And then it's interesting, in the next verse, in verse 3, he, he turns it around. He says, in fact, I'm sorry, in verse 2, he says, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God. And so earlier, kind of watch this, he had been saying, you show that you love God by loving his children. And now he says, and you show that you love the children of God by loving God. And so it all kind of works together. If I love God, I love his kids. If I love his kids, then I love God. I can't sort of separate the two. There's something intrinsic about uh, loving our family that is just so strong. God placed that within us when he put his image in us. That's why our family bonds are so strong. That's why the love for our children is so strong, for the, the love that we have for our brothers and our sisters, for our parents is so strong. I mean, my, ki- my, my brothers and my sister's children, I just love them naturally. I didn't have to work at it. When I get to Skype with them and, and, and my, my little niece Lila says, Uncle John, I mean, it's like, oh my goodness. Huh. My heart just melts. We don't get together very much. My, my dad's a pastor. My, my brother-in-law's a pastor. And so we just, our, our lives are kind of uh, very focused on in those ways. And so we only get together maybe once a year when we're all there. And, and, uh, and so we stay in kind of other ways. But you know, when we're there, I don't have to work at trying to love them. It just, it just comes out naturally. Why? Because I love their parents. Because I love my, my brothers and I, I love my sister. And so I love their kids. I mean, I would do anything for them. More than anyone else in, in this world, that's, I want to see them succeed at life. I love, you know, all the kids here at our church, but I love them more because they're my brother's kids. They're my wife's, my sister's kids. And so that's natural. And even those of us who don't have a great relationship maybe with our dads or with our family, maybe you've kind of tempted to think, I, I don't understand the love of a father, the love of a mother, the love of a family. I don't think it's that strong. Listen, it is that strong. I would disagree with you lovingly. Um, I would say that is, why, that is why those broken relationships still have so much power over us. That's why after all those years of, of, of disappointment and hurt from that person, that's why you still care about what they think. Doesn't that drive you nuts? Like, why do I care so much? But you know what? That's the power of a family love that God placed inside of us. There's just something about our, each other that we just love our family and we care so much about each other. And, and that's why John uses this illustration to say that's how it is in the spiritual family of God too. If you love Jesus, you will love his kids. You will love each other. There's just no way to get around that. And, and if you don't love each other, then, then do you really love God? I mean, one of, the, one of the hardest things for me to watch as a parent is to watch my kids like fight with each other. It's to say, hear them say mean things to each other. It hurts my heart because I love them both. We were walking out of church on Monday night. We were doing something here. We were praying, and uh, Josh uh, here, Brown, and, and Ann, and Isaiah, and, and uh, Hannah were walking out in front of us, and, and, the, and they were all walking kind of arm in arm. And I said to Terry, I said, man, I hope our kids do that one day. You know, it looks like they like each other, you know? <laughs> There's something that we want as parents. We want our kids to love each other, to get along, to encourage each other, to build each other up. 
And Jesus says our father is our brother and God is our father said that's what I want for my family too. And so we have to love each other. But, but again, we've sort of hit that over and over in this passage. I don't want to hammer that today. I just want to remind us again, it's, it's natural. It's part of human nature. God put that in us. And so if we are to be overcomers, uh, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Um, we love those who Jesus loves. And uh, let's take a look again at the text to get a third thing. Verse 3 says, um, well, I'll start in verse 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God, was the first thing we said, and then carrying out his commands. Verse 3 says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. In other words, love for God equals keeping God's commands. That's how we show, that's how we demonstrate our love for God is by following his commands, okay? And so I can't be an overcomer if my life is out of control, not following God. I can't say that I'm a believer in Jesus, that I'm a follower of Jesus, if my life doesn't show it. Love for God equals obedience to his commands, When Jesus came into my life, he changed me. I was a new person. When Jesus came into your life, he changed you. You are a new person. And that is demonstrated in your life. You're seeing overcoming that happens in our lives over time. Number three, overcomers obey Jesus in love. We obey Jesus in love. That's not simple, I realize that, but that's what the scripture says. And it is true. And Jesus says the same thing about himself. It's interesting, if you jot down John 15, 10, take a look at that. Jesus says that he shows his love for his father by keeping his will, by doing his will. Jesus says the same thing. He shows his love for his father by doing the same thing, by keeping his commands. We show that we love God by obeying his commands. You've said it before, haven't you? to someone else, or maybe someone said it to you, don't tell me you love me, right? What do they say? Show me you love me. That's, that's what it is in our relationship with God. Don't, don't come on Sunday and say, I love you, God. I'm gonna sing this song to you. That is, that, that we, we do that as sort of an outplaying of what our heart is saying all week long and what our hands are saying all week long with our actions. That's when God is saying, yeah, 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 give me that praise. I love that. I love you too. But the person who is saying those words, but then is not acting that out, that's like a person coming up to you and saying, I love you, when you know they don't. When you know that they they actually hate you. When you know that they're doing things to hurt you and to hurt people that you care about. God doesn't want any part of that. That's not what overcomers do. Overcomers obey God's commands. And you know, the scripture says it's not burdensome, right? Did you catch that part? Um, his commands are not burdensome at the end of verse three. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. You know, that sounds, that sounds tough to believe. It, it is pretty hard to, to do the right thing. And I don't think that's what it means that it's easy to do the right thing. But here's why it's not a burden to keep God's commands. First, because he gives us the strength to actually do them. The power, the strength comes from him to do his commands, to do his will. And so he helps us. Again, when we cross over this line, 
he says we are overcomers. And then it's crazy. He does this stuff in our heart that we begin to change. When I look at my life, uh, how long have I been a believer now? 19 years, 20, 20 years, 20 years. Wow, this past April, 20 years. I'm a different person than I was. God has changed me. When you became a true believer in Jesus, when you said, you are Christ for me, he changed you, right? You're a new person. There's something different about you. And so you begin to obey. So he gives you the strength to obey. That's first of all why it's not burdensome. Um, Second, um, is because our response is out of love, not out of duty, right? We obey because we love God. It's how we demonstrate our love. And so that's different than doing something because I'm told to rather than doing it because I know that person loves me and, and, and they want to help me and they want to guide me and they want to help me make better choices for me. Well, then I want to do it because I know he loves me and I know it's right. Even if it's not hard, I'm sorry, even if it's hard or difficult, I know that God loves me. And so that changes things. That, that means I'm not, uh, it's not a burden necessarily to do it. And here's, the, here's another reason why it's not burdensome. is because his commands that we're supposed to obey actually make life easier, not harder. Do you know that? When I follow God, when I do things God's way, man, is life a lot easier. And when I start to kind of veer away from God's plan, and I start to think I'm smarter than God is, I start to think that, that I can do things better than he can, that's why my life starts to mess up. And I start to get in trouble. And, and then I'm carrying lots of burdens. Then I, that's burdensome, isn't it? The world tries to distract us and we, we see this beauty and, and fame or power or this is what I'm going to go after. And I begin to chase this instead of chasing Jesus. And then I carry all these burdens because now it's on me to become an overcomer. And that is burdensome. In fact, that's crushing. That's a crushing weight to try to live life as if I have to make myself become an overcomer. Having to live up to the world's expectations is crushing. But see, Christ offers another way where he's already done all the work and we just let him lead our lives. There's this movie Julia Roberts is in. You guys know who she is. She's right one of the most famous actresses today. She's been in lots of movies and very good at what she does. And in this one movie, she plays a famous actress. It's interesting to watch. She plays sort of a character like herself. And in this kind of real honest moment in this movie, um, she says this. When she's sort of kind of being honest and she's sort of um, feeling sympathy for herself, she says, I have been on a diet every day of my life, which means I've basically been hungry. And I've had two really painful surgeries to try to look this way. To live up to the world's expectations of what is success is an incredible burden. Instead of living over here where Jesus says, you are an overcomer because you're my child. I've done the work. I've already won this game. You just come onto my team and there are no expectations for you. You don't have to work your way onto my team. You don't have to try harder to get onto the team. You could never even try hard enough. You just need to believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's what he offers to us. And John wraps it all up. Those who are born of God overcome, he says. And take a look at the 11 and 12 as he kind of wraps up this, 
this paragraph here of teaching. He says, this is the testimony God, that God has given us eternal life, and this is life in his son. Whoever has son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Jesus just wraps it up and says, listen, this is, I'm the dividing line, okay? Those who have me have life. They're overcomers. Those who don't do not have life. You and I have to decide what we're gonna do right here. What we're gonna do, listen to me. Maybe you come to church because your parents bring you. Maybe you come to church because your spouse brings you. Their faith does not work for you. You have to decide which side of the line you're gonna be on. Maybe you've come to church your whole life and you think that's what gets you on this line. Listen, it doesn't. You have to decide for yourself what side of the line you're on. Who is Jesus for you? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the only one who can rescue you? You have to decide that. Jesus is the dividing line. And then it's so critical every day what we decide, which side of the line I'm going to live on today. Am I going to live as if I am an overcomer because Christ has done the work for me? Or am I going to try to live life doing my own thing and trying to become an overcomer on my, on my own and carry those burdens that come with that? That's the choice we make. Or do I daily say, Jesus, you're in charge of me today. Help me. You're in charge of my words. Lord, help me. You're in charge of my, my actions, my, my hands, what I'm going to do today. God, you're in charge of my mind and surrendering to him. The only thing we do is to surrender. Christ does the rest. See, you don't need to wait for eternal life. That's the cool thing because it begins the moment you believe. Eternity's begun for you. You don't need to work for eternal life because it's already yours when you believe. You don't need to worry about eternal life because it has been given to you by God himself and he guarantees it. See, only Jesus guarantees victory. Only Jesus guarantees victory. If you're thinking, John, you know, it sounds like this passage is teaching that I, I'm supposed to live my life as if everything depends on Jesus, then yeah, that's it. That's how you're supposed to live your life as if everything depends on Jesus. Do you notice that we said that overcomers, right, believe that Jesus is Christ. Overcomers love who Jesus loves, and overcomers obey Jesus in love. It all comes back to Jesus. It's all about him. When we're asking you to, to follow Jesus, that's what we're asking you to do. Not to, not to become a certain person, not to, not to do certain things, not to come to church a lot, but to follow Jesus. And then wherever he leads you is where he'll lead you. And he'll take care of those actions and those things that, that we typically want to change first. Only Jesus guarantees victory. We can fight from victory or we can act like we're fighting for our victory, which is always a losing battle. We are already overcomers in Christ. Listen, whether your team wins or loses on a Saturday night, on a Friday night, or a Sunday, or a Monday, or Thursday, whenever football is, whether your team wins or loses doesn't really matter. Success in your life is only determined by one victory, and Jesus already won that game. That one's done. That one's over. 
maybe you find yourself today, maybe you find yourself, you're, you're sitting here today and, and you're realizing that you've been living, you know, you're a believer, you're, you've accepted that Christ is God, but you sort of kind of drifted back to this side and you're living your life as if you're not an overcomer and you're working for it. And I would encourage you today to surrender your heart to him every day. Jesus, you're in charge of me. Where is your heart hard to God? Where have you said, nope, I'm not changing this, God. Where have you said, you're not having this part. I'm holding on to this. This is too important. I don't trust you. Where have you said that to God? That's where you're not overcoming, I, I imagine. Or maybe, maybe you're sitting there today and as I'm talking, you're realizing that you're actually, you're on this side of the line. That you've not yet made Jesus Christ. You've not yet made him Messiah for you, Savior for you. Maybe your parents do bring you or maybe you come because you, you enjoy coming. You like the music or you think it really makes you help you feel good or you're positive or whatever. Listen, you have to decide at some point in your life, what are you gonna do about Jesus? We can't pretend that we can be neutral you can't just think that Jesus was a good guy. You were either on his side and are an overcomer or you're on the other side. That's it. There's only two choices. As we close today, I want you to think about those things, whatever person you are. You're the overcomer who's maybe living over here or maybe you're the person who has yet to experience the grace of God and the life-changing power of God. Would you pray with me as we close? Jesus, we come to you. It's all about you. It's all about you. You are the only one who can help us to overcome. Lord, I wanna pray for those who are here today who are struggling through life because they are are holding on to areas in their life where they say, I gotta work this out. I gotta fix this. God, I can relate because I'm on that side. That's my, my theme verse right now, Lord. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Lord, I want to live on this side of being an overcomer. I want to surrender my whole life to you. And I pray for those who are, who are there with me. Lord Jesus, that today would be a day of change for them where they would once again come to their knees and say, Lord, you're in charge of me. You're in charge of my family. You're in charge of my future. You're in charge of my bank account. You're in charge of everything. You're the one. I'm not gonna force it anymore. I'm not gonna make it be my way or no way. It's your way. And Lord, I wanna pray too for those who are sitting here who who are on the other side, who haven't yet crossed over. God, I wanna pray that you would move in their hearts and stir. And I wanna talk to them for a second and say, if that's you, If you're sitting here this morning and you feel like God is talking to you and he is saying, come on, come on, cross over. You can be an overcomer too. I've already done the work. If God is saying that to you, then then you simply by faith need to believe that Jesus is Christ. That's what the verse says and that's what it means. It's truth. And so you gotta simply say in your heart right now something like this, Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, I accept you into my life. And what you did when you lived and died, that was for me. And I want to become your follower.
I want to be an overcomer. If you pray that prayer in your heart, in faith, that's all that it takes. There's nothing you need to do. You simply say those words to God. Jesus, we uh, are so glad for your word. So glad for the truth that is there. We live in a world that Satan has created that's full of uh, deception and lies and tricks. And we are so tempted, Lord, to get off the path. And so, God, I'm so glad for your word, which helps us to get back on. Lord, help us to hear your word and your truth above everything else that's coming into our lives. Jesus, we want to be overcomers. We want our church to be a church full of overcomers living from the victory that you've given us. It's all about you. We turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.